Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. So here we are at season six penultimate episode. Now I know there are two more episodes left, but the fact that there are part one and a part two, for me, that kind of disqualifies the next episode, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, part one, as the penultimate episode. As a part one and a part two, it's a continuation of the same story. But here, in Sweet 16, we've got a number of major landmarks in Laura Ingalls' young life. And speaking of people's life stories, I recently picked up a copy of Mary Gabriel's biography on Madonna, entitled Madonna, A Rebel Life. And as a lifelong fan of Madonna, the recording artist, except for those years following the album Music and American Life, I slowly made my way back after confessions on the dance floor. But reading these many anecdotes of friends, producers, musicians who have worked with her, and they all seem to describe her as the same way. A strong powerhouse who knows exactly what she wants to do. I'm at the part where Like a Prayer was just released. And even though I have heard Madonna's first four albums many times over the decades, they now take on a whole new meaning. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Sweet 16 and debuted on February 25th, 1980. The episode was written by John T. Dugan and directed by Michael Landon. We begin in a forested area. A man in a buckboard, who is not Doc Baker or Reverend Alden, is driving through, in between, a group of children who are heading onwards to school only assuming that because all the children happen to have books in hand. We cut to the driver of that buckboard and find out his name is Mr. Williams. And at the moment, he is currently having some tea with Eliza Jane. It should be assumed he is somehow connected to the schools in the area, possibly superintendent. I don't know. They haven't said. Mr. Williams is in the area and has come to ask Eliza Jane for some help down in the town of Curry. It's located southwest of Walnut Grove. Their current teacher, Mrs. Trimble, has broken her leg. These poor teachers out on the prairie. And he has come a-calling to see if Eliza Jane has any top students who are of teaching age. Eliza Jane informs us that the one student who is 16 years old is also her worst student. Wow, Willie Olson's 16? She also tells us her best student is 12 years old. Wow, Laura's still 12? However, this is when she announces that her best student, who is close to the age of 16, is Laura Ingalls. Her birthday's two weeks away. Mr. William takes this information in and with a chuckle decides to bend the rules a little bit. He inquires to Eliza Jane if Laura might be interested in this position, and Eliza Jane guarantees him Laura is indeed anxious to start teaching, so then she can also start dating Eliza Jane's brother. 
Mr. Williams, who we've only just met, delivers his lines very much like Harry, poorly, and announces how he and Eliza Jane should head back to school to see if Laura is indeed interested. We cut back to the schoolyard where a b-ball game is being played. Base, not basket. Inside, Eliza Jane is there, and I'm confused. Did she leave the students unintended in the previous scene? Laura is busy demonstrating her knowledge of her least favorite subject, history. And when she's done, Mr. William announces to Laura that she's a teacher. And right there, he signs, seals, and delivers to Laura her teaching certificate. Did she even get her diploma? Mr. Williams then refers to Laura as Miss Ingalls, and she smiles. The camera shifts over to Eliza Jane as we are told Laura is about to get $20 a month plus room and board. She's also promised $10 in advance for travel expenses. Eliza Jane's face seems scared for her job. Just kidding. Laura is told she will be staying with Miss Trimble, give the old lady some company, and Eliza Jane exclaims Laura should keep her $10, and she'll ask Almanzo to take Laura to Curry as a graduation present. Laura starts having ridiculous thoughts as a smile spreads across her face. Mr. Williams then hands over a signed teaching certificate, diploma, and Laura is now one step closer to being a woman. And with that, we get a shot of Laura running all the way home to rub it in Charles's face. I'm a teacher, Pa. Cut to the mercantile. Laura is getting a store-bought dress. She is told to head into the other room to try it on. With Laura out of the room, Harry begins, Uh, where has the time gone? She tells the story of a little child who would come walking into the store who could barely reach the counter. Ugh, it makes me feel so old. Caroline boasts and says it makes her feel proud. Harriet, well, it makes me feel old. I'll never forgive Nellie for growing up. But I was practically a baby when I had her. Caroline does her best to restrain the LOL when she responds, Ooh, that had to have been a difficult delivery. Harry continues how she still has Willie, sweet, innocent Willie. Just then, from off screen, Laura yells from the other room, Willie Olsen, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Laura comes into the room, announcing that Willie was watching her change. Harriet pleads with her youngest, tell me it's not true. And Willie says, okay, it's not true. Laura calls Willie a liar a second time. Harriet once more tries to get Willie to admit it is not true. And Willie says, okay, it's not true. But that's only because you told me to tell you that it's not true. Willie logic. Harriet calls Willie's behavior disgusting. What did you expect to see? Willie, I don't know. I haven't seen anything yet. Harriet scolds her son and tells him to get up to his room. At the same time, Mr. Olson is coming down the stairs 
and is told, This is all your fault. Mr. Olson accepts the blame, but wants to know what for. And Harriet whines, Willie's become a man. And she proceeds to make her own way upstairs. It's another day and we are back at Plum Creek. And today is the day. Laura gets a long wagon ride with Manly. Oh, and she's also heading into her first teaching job. Caroline has packed food for the road. And Laura, with that carpet bag in hand and a hat that suggests Mary Poppins, Laura is told that she looks beautiful by her mother. And Charles looks her up and down and says, you look like a lovely young woman. Laura is gobsmacked. You called me a woman. She kisses Charles on the cheek, yells out a goodbye, and heads outside. And I am a little surprised that we get no scene right here between Charles and Caroline discussing Laura's ride with Almanzo. En route to Curry, there is small chit-chat happening between Laura and Almanzo. Laura mentions how she's happy it's not a dusty ride over. She didn't want to ruin her new dress, or her new hat for that matter. Manly takes a moment to compliment both. Laura continues how Charles did not really like Laura's new mature hairstyle. You think it makes me look too mature? Manly replies with a, it doesn't make you look mature at all. That's a backhanded compliment. Even Laura is aware of that. And before we know it, Elmonzo is pulling to a stop outside of Miss Trimble's place of residence. She has done really well with her teacher's salary. Manly hands Beth her bags and tells her it was his pleasure to take her down on this trip. He's been looking for this chance for a while. That smile on Laura's face couldn't get any bigger until it starts to shrink down when Almanzo states he's been wanting to take Barnum out on a good long workout. Climbing back into his buckboard, Almanzo announces, I'll see you Friday, and heads back to Walnut Grove. P.S. Wherever Laura is at, it looks like it's fall season. Laura goes up to the house, knocks on the door, and from inside we are told it is unlocked and come on in. And that's when Laura meets Miss Trimble in her wheelchair, smoking a pipe. Even Laura is a little astounded by this. Miss Trimble calls her pipe-smoking habit nasty, but her pa used to smoke it, and she got to the point where she just liked the smell of it. She enlists Laura, call her by her name, Minnie, and looking Laura up and down, announces Laura is going to be a great teacher. Minnie instructs Laura to her room, end of the hall, and tells her to relax after the long trip and to help calm her nerves about her new job. Minnie announces that she is going to make dinner and then inquires to Laura how old she is. Laura responds, 16, in two weeks, as she heads down the hallway to her room. Minnie, in her wheelchair, addresses herself 
Ugh, do you remember when you were 16, Minnie? She giggles and heads into the kitchen to start supper. We cut to the schoolhouse, and I swear for a brief moment, I thought we were on Prince Edward Island. It looks just like we're out on Avonlea. The Tracy School student body are outside playing football. World, not American. And spot Laura in the distance. And Laura looks like she's ready to start singing her rendition of I Have Confidence. The oldest student in the group is the first to say it. She is just a kid. Passing by the student body, Laura opens the door and steps into her first schoolhouse as a teacher. The schoolhouse actually is what I imagine Laura's Walnut Grove school would really look like. Laura proceeds to get herself ready and then rings the bell, calling class to session. Once everyone is inside and at their seats, Laura introduces herself and states how she knows everyone's names, progresses, and assignments, thanks to Miss Trimble. And as she begins to call attendance, the oldest student raises his hand and inquires about Laura's age. You're awfully young and small to be a teacher. Laura pulls out her science certificate from Superintendent Mr. Williams, finally the man gets a job title, and she claims being bigger doesn't make you smarter. The size of the body has nothing to do with the size of the brain. This is how we are introduced to Chad Brewster. As Laura works on roll call, the camera zooms in and we are made aware it is 8 in the morning. And the next thing we know, it's the end of the day. Laura's returning back to Minnie's place. And Minnie? Minnie's outside in her wheelchair. How did she get that there? And inquires to Laura how her first day went. Laura starts off by saying there was a fight between two brothers. And then she continues to list off what she remembers about each one of the students. But Minnie stops her and inquires, but how did it go? And Laura doesn't hold back. She smiles and announces how she loved it. At which point, she volunteers to cook dinner that evening. And I say, go for it. Minnie is apparently going to be busy getting that wheelchair back in the house. As Laura makes her way up the front steps, Minnie notices a package under her arms. What's inside that? Laura, heels. It's her first pair. She wants to look taller, older, combination of the two. Unfortunately, Laura has no drag mother to, one, teach her how to walk in heels, and two, inform her it's not a good idea to walk around in heels on the grass. But Laura, she persisted, determined to learn how to walk in them. We cut to Laura at school, having a student named Tommy read aloud. She mentions how his reading has improved. And out of the blue, Superintendent Mr. Williams pops up unannounced. He was just passing through the area, and now that he's there, he wants Laura to give a demo of her teaching abilities. He would like to hear a student solve a math problem. 
Chad Brewster raises his hand to volunteers, and he is given the question, 347,264 divided by 16. Standing up, Chad Brewster proceeds to dictate his steps and proceeds to come up with the correct answer. 21,704. At this moment, Superintendent Mr. Williams asks for a moment of Laura's time outside the school building. He commends Laura's achievements and even mentions that the Crawford boy never volunteered for anything. He tells her to keep up the work and then proceeds to leave. We get a quick shot of Almanzo and Superintendent Mr. Williams passing one another. It must be Friday. School is out. Back at the schoolhouse, Laura is thanking Chad Brewster for volunteering today. Chad admits that he loves ciphering, and besides, he didn't want Laura to get in trouble with her boss. And while Laura praises Chad's academic prowess, Chad admits that school isn't really for him. I want to be a farmer. I don't need all of this. Laura then inquires if Chad has any other ideas. Chad admits that his grandfather was the town doctor. I'd like to do that. Laura delivers the pep talk to the rural area kid about brains and knowledge and how they could be used to be anything Chad wants to be. Laura even goes as far as mentioning that she could borrow some medical books from Doc Baker. It's at this time Almanzo pulls up in front of the school and helps Laura get into the wagon. As he offers to take Laura's bag, and as subtle as it is, Almanzo intentionally touches her hand while still clutching the bag handle, and he stares at Beth. She inquires what's wrong. Almanzo admits nothing's wrong, but Laura understands. Almanzo is beginning to see her as a woman. As they sit side by side in the buckboard, Beth catches Manly still looking at her and again inquires, what's wrong? And Manly states, you look different. You look older. With a smile, Laura states that if they want to get home before dark, they better leave now. And with a smile, off they go. Laura takes a moment to look at her shoes, propped up on the buckboard, childlike, and instantly tucks them under herself, the way a young lady would sit. We are back at Plum Creek. Albert is doing all the chores. You know, Carrie's helpless. And he announces that Laura has returned. Caroline is out the door and wants to hear everything from her daughter. And as mother and daughter start to talk, Manly yells out that he will be back on Sunday to pick up Beth at three. It's late night up in the loft. That mother and daughter conversation is still going on. But now we're on to the juicy stuff. What Almanzo said and how he acted. But more importantly, how he said it and the way he looked at Laura. Laura is thrilled. It is finally happening. Caroline puts the brakes on that idea. It's just a new look. It's not a marriage proposal. Famous last words. And as excited as Laura is to be a teacher and to be a woman, she admits that she is also a little afraid. 
She's afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing now in front of Almanzo. Caroline tells Laura, Laura just needs to be herself. It's what he liked about you in the first place. Boys like to pursue, so you should let him pursue you. Caroline kisses her daughter goodnight and heads downstairs, where we find Charles making his own food. As he mentions, the two of them could have talked all night. Caroline states, Laura just needs a chance to unwind, and then informs Charles what the two of them were chatting about, teaching, and things. Charles takes a pause and voices his concern with how close to dark it was before Laura and Almanzo arrived at Plum Creek. But Caroline reminds Charles, Laura is in good hands, and besides, he's got plenty on his plate already. You need a day of rest. You're not getting any younger. Again, you don't argue with Caroline. Sunday morning brings Almanzo, or at least Sunday afternoon. Almanzo heads into the barn to talk with Charles, who tells Almanzo Loris inside packing. But Almanzo has actually come for another reason. He's come to ask permission to take Laura to the upcoming social at Nellie's at the end of the week. You know, Laura's birthday. Charles, without answering, tells Almanzo that he needs to ask Laura, who just so happens to arrive at that moment next to Almanzo. Your pa said I should ask you if you want to go to the church social. It's not exactly what he said, Almanzo, but it's close. Laura squeals with joy, recollects herself, and then states, Um, I'll have to think about it, Manly. And off to the side, Caroline is breaking into a smile. Laura states that she will let Manly know an answer by Friday. We cut to the Wilder estate. Almanzo has delivered Laura and returned home, but he's still in a state of shock about the one girl who said, let me think about it. Eliza Jane is there, sipping some tea and encouraging Almanzo to have some of his own while it's still hot. And Almanzo, in a trance-like state, proceeds to spoon six, seven, who knows how many spoonfuls of sugar into his tea. The spoon could probably stand up. He is so confused. Why would she say that she would think about it? Eliza Jane giggles. She knows this game, but she's never played it herself. And being the nice big sister, Eliza Jane lets Almanzo know that he is not being silly with his behavior. Almanzo says goodnight to Eliza Jane and heads to his room. And Eliza Jane sits up, sipping her tea, realizing She's about to lose her brother. Cut back over to Minnie's. She's at the point in the healing process where her cast is causing her leg to do nothing but itch. Laura is in a rush to get to class. She's running late. We're also told it's Wednesday, and the first medical book that Chad had looked through, that Laura had borrowed from Doc Baker, is already done, and he's on to the second medical book. 
Minnie inquires if Chad's focusing on any of his other studies. Laura doesn't have a word for that because she is out the door. While Minnie continues to talk to herself until she tells herself to stop it. We cut to Charles handling some wood, loading up a delivery for Slayton so he can hurry back to the mill to start a rush order for Sleepy Eye. This is when Almanzo shows up and volunteers to take the Slayton delivery. He then mentions how he's going to stop by Curry on the way home so he can say hi to Laura. Charles delivers an eye roll and says, you're going to see her tomorrow. Almanzo states that he feels Laura might be homesick and not looking to turn down any sort of assistance. Charles says thank you to Almanzo as he heads out. However, according to Charles, he should have sent Almanzo to Sleepy Eye instead. It's the opposite direction. We cut to Almanzo arriving at the Curry School. Chad is super excited about the anatomy books. He starts to point out how flexible the ribcage really is and its purpose of protecting some very vital organs. And just as he goes ahead and kind of crosses over the line, he puts his hands on Laura's torso and tells her to inhale. Just as Manly opens the door and, holy spit, Zeldamo assaults a minor. He punches poor Chad Brewster in the face and that kid goes sprawling out on the ground. And first he yells at Chad to keep his hands off the teacher and then turns to Laura and inquires, is this the way a teacher conducts with a student? He's acting a bit possessive at this moment. And Laura, Laura puts on her big girl pants and tells Almanzo James Wilder he is acting like a child, hitting my students, interfering with my job, and lastly, having a dirty mind. Manly looks the fool. We cut back to him returning the wagging to Charles, and he is now ready to have a man-to-man -man chat with Charles about Laura. He brings up, of course, their difference in ages and how at first Laura was just a nice young friend, but now something's different. Something's changed. He's starting to have new feelings and they are not platonic. He admits to his behavior back at the schoolhouse when he thought one of the students was making an advance on Laura. Charles stifles his laughter. And it's at this time, Almanzo states that perhaps Charles should pick her up tomorrow instead. It's her birthday and she'll want to see her family. He says goodbye and leaves. We cut to Laura's last day teaching and she's thanking her students for such a positive experience. Chad Brewster offers a present on behalf of the entire student body, claiming it's for her birthday. And what's the gift? A new pen. Laura announces to the students to have a nice weekend and God bless. Outside, Laura climbs into the wagon next to her father as the student body yells out goodbyes. And on the wagon ride home, it's now time for some father-daughter talk. Laura admits how the students felt like her own children. Charles, you're a bit young for that. And Laura changes the topic of conversation to Manly and why 
He didn't pick her up. Charles repeats what Manley had said about it being her birthday and spending time with her family. He then admits, however, he does know what happened the other day and tells his half-pint how jealousy will drive a person mad. Laura admits she knows what that feels like, and she recalls that time that Elmanza went out with that snippy Roxanne, I mean, Christy. And that's when Charles inquires, well, why were you mad? And Laura, Laura just blurts it out, because I love Elmanzo. Charles smiles. Then it dawns on Laura. You think he's in love with me? Still smiling, Charles admits that there is a darn good chance he does. He then throws it out there that girls shouldn't marry until they're 18, unless you're Mary. Charles also tells Laura that Almanzo will be at the church social that evening. Laura inquires, is he going to be with anyone? And Charles tells her yes, his sister. And speaking of social, we are there. In fact, everyone is there, even Adam and Mary. Laura, the birthday girl, shows up with her hair down, and as she scans the room, she spots Eliza Jane sitting all alone. Charles tells Laura to go inquire to Eliza Jane where her brother is at, and she's informed that Almanzo is somewhere around, and out of the blue, Albert, then ask Eliza Jane to dance. She is so thrilled. In fact, Charline, go ahead and start dancing as well. Laura, alone, makes her way into the kitchen, and that's where she finds Manly, sitting at the open door. She makes herself known, and he expresses his doubt that she was even going to attend, and he proceeds to apologize for the other day. I'm just saying and doing all the wrong things to let you know I care for you. Almanzo then inquires who Laura came with, and she says her family. He smiles and confesses he came with his sister. I know. And this is when Almanzo states, since they're both there with family, maybe he could escort her around? There's a yes and a please from Laura, and in that order. This is when Almanzo pulls out a present for Laura. It's a shawl scarf, and she proceeds to put it on, while stating that it feels like I'm wearing your colors. And that's when the tension finally spills over, and they kiss. Unlike Mary and Adam, who suck face, Laura and Almanzo have a simple kiss on the lips. Inside the social, Beth enters with Manly. Charles states that he feels he's about to lose a daughter. Caroline, good, we need the space. Just kidding. Instead, they make a joke about the excitement of being called Grandpa and Grandma. Hashtag too soon. We get a long shot of Laura and Almanzo, Mary and Adam, Albert and Eliza Jane, Harriet and Mr. Olson, Charles and Caroline, Extra and Extra, and that poor kid who had to pair up with Carrie as they all continue to dance at the church social, but also Laura's Sweet Sixteen. All right, let's go ahead and pull out the source material here. 
In the last chapter of Little Town on the Prairie, it's December, actually it's Christmas Eve, 1882, when the Ingalls family gets a knock on their door. A Mr. Brewster is there, as well as a superintendent, Mr. Williams, who have come calling for Laura because they have plans to open up a new school and they need a teacher. And just like in the episode, Laura is given an oral exam and pretty much handed her teacher certificate right there. In the opening chapters of These Happy Golden Years, we find out about Laura's first teaching experience, which not only includes those long rides from home to work on a weekly basis with Almanzo, but also include Laura having to deal with rambunctious students, students who are taller and older than her, and a knife-wielding parent. Yes, a knife-wielding parent. And yes, it is on these long rides back and forth that Almanzo does start to warm up to Laura and the fact that she is becoming older, more mature. However, this experience, this moment in TV Laura's life is completely different than the one book Laura had to endure. Those long rides with Almanzo back and forth were during the winter. Laura didn't get her own room in the spacious Miss Trimble's house. She had a share, a shanty shack, with a family of three. So clearly, TV Laura gets off easy. This is Laura's life for the next two months, according to the book series. That's a whole lot of book crammed into a 49-minute episode. And with that, let's finally get to reviewing and rating this episode. In the opening pages of On the Shores of Silver Lake, book four in the Little House on the Prairie book series, we get a four-year time jump and Mary has gone blind. Other than sisterly banter, Mary doesn't do much else in the book until she's written out as she's off attending school in Iowa. So TV Mary, in exchange, has had a whole plethora of interesting and exciting events. Do you know what TV Mary has done before she turned 16? Well, before turning 16, she had managed to move out of the house out on the frontier to help teach at a school for the blind, while only not too recently becoming blind herself. By this time, she had also kept her two younger sisters alive, navigating a blizzard, or that time she was Bubba Gallander's punching bag. Let's also not forget the time Mary almost died when she was kicked in the abdomen by a horse, as well as that time she was held hostage by the James brothers. Oh, and let's not forget, Mary was also engaged at the age of 14, but had it broken off the following season. Mary has done a lot by the time she was 16, including having her own teaching experience, which is more on par with the teaching experience Laura Ingalls, book Laura Ingalls, wrote about in the book, These Happy Golden Years. Mary wasn't fortunate enough to have a Miss Trimble during her teaching experience. She had a Miss Rachel Peel. Moving on to Laura, here she is 
finally turning 16. And Laura's first teaching experience includes multiple rides next to the man of her dreams, with a commute that's only 12 miles compared to Mary's 40, staying in a lovely house well furnished with a woman who wants nothing more than for Laura to succeed, and a student body who in a two-week time period seemed to drastically gain academic achievements, all at a pay rate of $40 a month, which doesn't make sense because she's only there for two weeks. And do you know what else Laura has done before she has turned 16? Well, she's ran away from home and snuck out of the house multiple times, hung out with a drunk goat, shot her father. Oh, well, I guess there is that time she was kidnapped and held hostage in a root cellar. But other than that, Laura's life, for the most part, has been pretty easy compared to Mary's. I mean, looking at Almanzo, in a two-week period, his feelings for Beth, Laura, had done a 180. Those feelings for Laura have been there long before these two weeks leading up to her sweet 16. Multiple times throughout the season, Almanzo and Laura have had that exchange of compliments, but usually Almanzo's are to put Laura within an age range. It's almost as if those words from his younger brother, Pearly Day, are echoing in his ear. Kid, she's going to be 16 at her upcoming birthday. And Laura pretty much does all she can, aside from stuffing apples down her blouse, to present herself as a young woman. Heck, it's even the first time Charles calls her a young woman, which is absolutely a confidence booster for her. So when Beth gets into the buckboard next to Almanzo on that very first ride down to Curry, she is definitely presenting herself as a young woman. And of course, Almanzo's compliment backhanded. So Laura is once again treated as a child by Almanzo. But this is the last time because this one week away, Laura magically matures to the point where it really gets his attention. I don't recall Mary coming back from Whisper County, in the words of Charles, a young woman. And poor Chad Brewster, thrown into the story just for the sole purpose of being punched in the face. A catalyst for jealousy. And we had a number of shots of Eliza Jane just looking a little... I don't want to say weathered, but maybe a little beaten down by all this attention to Laura. Laura getting her teaching certificate on the first try, why it took Eliza Jane multiple attempts. Her brother now completely enamored with Laura, pulling his attention away from Eliza Jane, and then sitting alone at the social it was really cute when Albert came over and invited her to dance. I want something more, something better for Eliza Jane Wilder. And poor Minnie Trimble. She did not get enough screen time. And that's why this week's Little House Moment goes to Minnie's introduction. There is so much to unfold when we first meet Minnie. 
We already know that she was going to be in a cast, but didn't know she was going to be rolling around in a wheelchair smoking a pipe. And her house. Clearly, she's a widower. Because there is no way she afforded that place and decked it out on a teacher's salary. And I want to know if this girl can cook. Because she can get that wheelchair all over that house and outside. It's a wonder what she can do in the kitchen. Plus, like myself, Minnie has conversations with herself. Talk about making the most of the time you have on screen. <sighs> Minnie, Trimble, I wish we got to know you more. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. This, this needed to be a two-parter, or at least a long run. There was a lot crammed into these 48 minutes. As soon as Almanzo is introduced in the series, we know what's going to happen. Laura even tells us in a voiceover. So when his feelings change within a two-week time period, while Laura is on the verge of turning 16, while also starting her first job as a teacher, it's a lot. And poor Chad Brewster gets more screen time just so he can end up being Almanzo's punching bag. And poor Eliza Jane is left wondering, what's next? And again, we only got a glimpse of Minnie Trimble. Because of that, we don't really get to appreciate this moment of Laura becoming a teacher. This profession that she's been wanting to do since she announced it when they were leaving Winoka. And here she is getting to do it and getting encouragement from a teacher. And it's completely overshadowed by the fact that Laura's turning 16 and Almanzo's starting to make those kind of eyes at her. And it just seemed to happen so sudden and all together at the same time. So I'm a little disappointed that we got these two major milestones in Laura's life that are unfolding at a rather breakneck speed. In addition to the episode just being a number of major events happening, it really offered no obstacles whatsoever. Almanzo punches a kid because of a misunderstanding. This episode, this episode was completely oversaturated with its sweetness. And that is why we are going to give Sweet 16 a 4 bonnet rating. As a penultimate episode, it delivered with setting up a number of major events that will carry over to the next season and help continue the story of Laura Ingalls. However, since there was so much happening, we weren't given that much time to appreciate these events. We had characters who were included for a reason, but were really served no purpose. This episode served its purpose in the overall Little House in the Prairieverse. But the episode was also just a little unsatisfying. And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can reach out with those thoughts and feelings. Next week, we begin season six finale. He loves me. He loves me not. Part one. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. 
And until next time, take care.